Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged. Today we've got Mike Shikashio from aggressivedog.com. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this one, mate. Um, start off, let's just start off uh, for the listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is you do in our industry. Sure. Um, I own aggressivedog.com, which is a site and uh, educational platform for helping dogs with aggression issues. So whether it's trainers or pet guardians looking for help with their dogs, it all focuses on helping dogs with aggression issues. Um, and I've been doing working with dogs for around uh, 22 years now, uh, but starting with just all of your typical issues and then kind of fo start focusing on aggression because I found that a lot of dogs getting surrendered to shelters or given up on were because of aggression issues or, you know, what people might consider aggressive behaviors. So what, I thought, what better way to help them than to focus on that exclusively? So I made the deep dive about <laughs> 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago now to just decide to go strictly with aggression cases. And that kind of started to blossom into teaching other trainers and then uh, providing workshops and lectures and speaking at conferences. So now most of what I do is focusing on educating other trainers and and uh, doing workshops and conferences on the topic of aggression. Still take the occasional case every once in a while though, <laughs> just to stay sharp. But yeah, most of it has moved into now just educating other trainers. Nice. I mean, I, as you know, I was one of the beneficiaries of one of those workshops here, here in Sydney recently. And yeah, I can speak volumes to how much, uh, how much value you bring to our industry. So yeah, thank you. It's, it was absolutely brilliant to just piece it all together and just see the way that you understand aggression, um, and explain it in such a simple way to digest it was pretty awesome oh, i appreciate that those are some kind words <laughs> and, I, and I thank you <laughs> very well and there's um so today obviously i mean this is what we're going to be talking about is that topic of aggression it's a huge topic and as you said off air there's a lot of misconceptions about aggression out there Absolutely. You know, I think happens is that when somebody, nobody goes out and like says, I want a dog that bites people, right? <laughs> they don't go out and like say, oh, let me get that dog that that's going to end up killing everybody there. They, so what happens is that people will get a dog and they'll start to experience these aggression issues, whether it's minor or major in terms of what the dog is doing. And then they, of course, go searching for information on what they can do to help their, their situation, their dog themselves. And of course, there's Google and other places for looking for that information. But one of the problems is that there's so much information that's all over the place. I mean, it's worse than anything in most other industries, right? Like even worse than Dr. Google when people go looking for information about their, their medical issues, right? There's so much conflicting information. So what I find is that a lot of the clients that I've had or, or pet guardians, they, they get very confused and it becomes very muddy. 
And one of the myths is one of the most significant myths that can be very damaging is how to treat the behavior, how to work with the behavior, whether it's using positive reinforcement or food or treats, or is it punishment or being more alpha, you know, air quotes up there yeah. and knowing what to do. So that's, that's definitely one of the most, um, significant issues I think pet guardians are facing when they have aggression issues with their dog. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. hundred percent. Like if, if they're not confused uh, and they normally are, like you said, like by the time we get to them and we, we meet them, they're normally confused about why it's happening and what it is they're meant to be doing. But also sometimes on the other extreme, they can become, because they've Googled it and because there is so much information out there, I often find that they can, can be pretty solid in their opinion as to what's going on, but it's, it's, there's some really damaging advice out there on, on Dr. Google. Definitely. And, and sometimes we get lucky though. I'll say that yeah. as trainers, oh, yeah. oh, I've had clients that I'm just so impressed with, you know, sometimes I'll, I have clients that live in other countries that are all of their information is online because they don't have uh, dog trainers in their area necessarily, but I'm sometimes very yeah. impressed with what the information they're getting. I think they're also usually good at filtering out, you know, good information and not good information, so to speak. So um, it's often I find um, I, I got that so lucky, not with not with an aggression case the other day, but I got a first time dog guardian uh, just brought a rescue dog in, into their life. And everything I said, they were just so, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And, and not in like an arrogant way, not in like a um, presumptuous way or anything. It was they had just read awesome resources in the buildup. And that's that's a positive sign because at least there is more and more good information actually getting out there in the first place. But the information they read, it will probably, I don't know, like it would often have a, a lot of resonation with how they are and or how they got brought up. Because my first impression of aggression, like how you treat it, was definitely, you know, aggression is bad. Aggression is, you know, bad dog. And, you know, we've basically more of a punishment line of thought. And that was my upbringing as well. Like I didn't actually, the idea of looking at aggression from through any other lens was completely alien to me. So I probably, even if I had come across that on the internet, I probably would have turned a blind eye to it back then. Right. I mean, it's, it's really the culture of punishment. I mean, it's been around since humans have been around, really. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very, very normal to approach solving problem behaviors in our society with punishment. And that's one of the problems that can, of course, occur when we try to treat aggression with it. And, and I can also want to point out one of the other significant myths is that aggression is not normal. But, you know, aggressive behavior is quite normal for any species used to survive or to defend themselves against a threat. So we never say, you know, somebody that um, symbol woman walking down the street and somebody tries to snatch their, their bag or something like that. And then the person responds by smacking that person's hand away. We don't say, oh, my gosh, what an aggressive old person. Right. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't think of that way. We're just saying that person's just trying to defend themselves. And the same thing yeah. with animals when they're when they're faced with a threat to their own safety or a threat to their resources or a threat to something that they perceive of value, then we're going to see an aggressive response and and defense. So it's actually aggression is quite normal in the sense of it's normal behavior uh, used to defend against a threat. 
So that's that's one of the things to dispel because I think dogs do end up uh, having to tolerate a lot from us as humans because we don't want to see any aggression at all, right? It's like such a big fault, but it's it's almost like saying, "How dare you breathe?" Right? Yeah. How dare you blink your eyes? You yeah. Know? How dare you like actually, you know, your heart is moving. I can't believe it. It's just so it's it's like saying those things. So it's it's for me, it's very strange to hear. Oh, no, your dog can never should never be aggressive. Now, obviously, it doesn't fit into our society, but um, we have to remember that it is normal. Right. It is. It's so normal. And is that I think it's it can be hard. And we've probably all done it at some point where we look at the aggressive dog, especially if it's your own and there's that personal attachment to it. You just see aggressive behavior rather than seeing the dog communicating their needs in that moment. And as soon as you flip it, either way, it completely changes the angle from which you would approach it. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we start to empathize with what our dogs are going through or our fellow humans are going through, right? It really changes our own behavior because then we can understand what they're going through, you know, and, and change how we're going to approach what we want to see, you know, in, in terms of that behavior change we're trying to enact in the human or the dog that we're working with. Right. And it's so, so crucial, I think, because again, going back to our original point of all the different myths out there is that it's, I think with all of the ways that are described on all the websites and articles you go to, and depending on who you, whose social media you're on, you're going to see, uh, you know, one of two ways. It's either you're going to reinforce desirable behaviors or help the dog feel better about the situation or punish the aggressive behavior through some method. And I can't think of anything that could be more harmful when there's that dichotomy if both if both approaches are used uh, because yeah. it's sort of like, you know, should we leave the scab and put a bandaid over it or should we pick it off? Can you do both at the same time? Probably not without having some real <laughs> issues down the line. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's definitely why I, I struggle with seeing so much misinformation out there, you know, because yeah. it's, it really, um, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, we might get some helpful information about punishing uh, an aggressive response. It's that if once you start mixing that, it's like oil and water, right? It just doesn't mix with our behavior plans. So yeah, it's a, and it can cause problems. It can make things worse, as we know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's so many different ways and important things to look at it. Um, you know, from the point of view of like just suppressing the like suppressing the dog communicating like mm -hmm. aggression, be aggressive behavior is just behavior and behavior is just information. And yeah. if we look, if we suppress the, the communication, like something I'd love to ask you is like, what, uh, what are the main dangers of using punishment mm -hmm. with these cases? Yeah. You, you, I mean, I'm really glad you brought up that point, Ian, about suppressing behaviors is that it can, cause it can look like it works. And so that people might say, Oh, wait, wait a minute. I had a dog before and I said no, or I used a whatever tool and it, and it stopped the behavior. And so how does it not work? You know, what are you telling me? Punishment doesn't work. Of course it works. And, and it yeah. does, you know, that's, you know, it, it works in terms of stopping behaviors in for the moment. And that's the key phrase there for the moment. It, you can suppress, you can get anybody or any animal to stop doing something with a big enough punisher or aversive, right? A anybody. And it doesn't matter yeah. who you are, right? And if you use a big enough aversive, a big enough shock, or you point a gun at somebody's head, they're going to stop for a moment, but that doesn't yeah. help them 
feel better about the situation. You, so you can suppress the behavior, but you know, and if that person keeps going, if that, let's go back to that old lady that's walking down the street with her, with her bag. Right. <laughs> and you know, that person, that person keeps getting held up at gunpoint. Right. And so it's, we're suppressing the response of getting the hand smacked away. But let's say we have like a real badass grandma. right? And, and she's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. And then finally she's like, you know what? I'm going to, then this depends on which country you're in, of course, but I'm going to bring my own gun with me. I'm going to take care of this before that person has a chance to bring out the gun. Now you've no longer suppressed the behavior. That person or animal or dog can start to act more proactively, proactively yeah. where they're saying, you know what, I'm going to deal with this before it even happens. And that's the problem with suppression. It can look like it works. So the person that was holding up grandma uh, before, it looks like it's working every time you're suppressing yeah. the behavior, every time of any kind of defense until it doesn't. And so that's why that's why it's confusing sometimes because it certainly looks like it works, but it doesn't help grandma feel any better about the situation. No, right? no. And, and if anything, what that's done is it's cultivated a culture of aggression, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. just more and more aggression to treat aggression, yeah. and that's not healthy. Like that's not why we got dogs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Again, nobody's going out to going out and getting dogs. But like I want a dog that I'm just going to be having to battle with all the time. Right. That's no. not why we get dogs most of the time. I hope. <laughs> but, yeah, right. Know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like nobody <laughs> in their right mind is going <laughs> yeah. out and getting a dog for that, for that reason. It's um, yeah, it's, we, we bring dogs into our lives to make us and them happy and right. getting into a war with them about their behavior completely defies the point in the first place. Right. <laughs> and I, yeah. I was going to say, and then what, you know, what also happens over time, right. Is that, that when we're trying to build a positive association with a situation, we can't do that if we're using any kind of, aversive or punisher in that moment, or if we're battling with our dog, nothing gets better in terms of helping the dog feel better. And with aggression cases, that's almost exclusively what I focus on at first is why, why is the dog doing this? Not what the dog is doing. We can see the barking, lunging, growling, biting behaviors, and which is not desirable for most of us as humans, but it's what, why is the dog doing that? We need to address the why. If you address the why, then the what comes along for the ride. You, the, yeah. the dog no longer feels like they need to bark, lunge, or bite because they. if you address how they feel, then they're like, oh, if I feel better about this, I have no reason to actually bark and bite this person. I'm no longer fearful or I'm no longer threatened by this person. So, um, yeah. yeah. Even, even um, and this is something that I really enjoy listening to you talk about is, you know, it's not always fear. It's not always uh, anxiety. There is that dogs can be angry. You know, that old lady that's taken the gun out to be proactive is probably angry at being robbed all the time. And, but we still treat that from a point of view as, well, let's help that individual no longer feel that anger, no longer okay. feel that uh, frustration because I feel like sometimes it's very easy to look at aggression. Sometimes even like even the more extreme case uh, individuals that would use punishment, if they see a scared dog, they're going to, they might even be find it harder to use punishment on a, on a scared dog. But if they think that the dog is angry or frustrated, those emotions tend to come with a stigma of, well, you, Mm -hmm. you have no right to be. Um, Right. So, 
Yeah, it's uh, a different, but it still comes from, we should be trying to change the emotional place. Back round to, there's that underlying feeling that wouldn't all dogs and everybody to feel is that sense of, if they're feeling comfortable, if they're feeling secure, if they're feeling safe, if they've trust in the individuals around them, we do not see aggressive behavior. Yeah, yeah. And wouldn't that be a a beautiful thing if, if we understood everyone's anger or frustration or stress, right? If we work to understand that, whether it's the humans that are angry at us or the dogs that are angry at us um, or fearful of us or frustrated or stressed or anxious, you know, all of these underlying motivations for aggression or aggressive behavior. When we work to understand that, then then it really can help us empathize with the dog and, and completely change the dynamic of punishment or trying to stop that behavior to let's address the root cause in the first place. So even anger, for instance, we can help a dog or a human feel much better about the situation, not feel so angry and actually feel happy about it if we do the right things. So if that little old lady, if that, that same, you know, attacker keeps coming up with the gun, but switches like, wait a minute, let me approach this a little differently because that one time uh, grandma shot me in the leg. So she must've been angry. So now I better change my routine. Sometimes it's like the dog actually finally biting. It's like, but it's like, huh, this is not working. So let me try something else. Right. And uh, so they might, let me try approaching with a kind voice and actually give grandma a stack of hundred dollar bills or depending on where you are, a bunch of money. Right. And yeah. we just keep rinsing and re- repeating that every single day. We come out and find it's, what's going to happen is grandma's not going to be so angry anymore. She's going to start looking forward to that person coming down the alley. Right. If we change how we approach the situation. So we're addressing the root cause. So grandma is no longer angry. And then what's going to come along for the ride is the behavior. Grandma's going to say, I don't need to pull out this gun anymore. I don't need to smack his hand away. I can actually say, hello, how are you today? Good to see yeah. you. Oh, and now I know what to look forward to. And then you get, of course, the classically conditioned response of like, when this person comes out, good things are going to happen for me. And that's, yeah. that's how I address the vast majority of my aggression cases is addressing the root cause, figuring out why the dog is feeling angry or fearful or frustrated, and then going from there. And when you do that, the behavior changes on its own in most cases. So it's a lot different. And that's another myth, you know, we can kind of segue into that. Another myth is like, is it like, do we need to teach sit down, stay, come heal and get more obedience or more leadership or all those things. And nothing can be further from the truth in most cases, because, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, teaching dogs to sit down, stay, it's totally fine. Use of yep. treats. Go, go for it. Um, that's a to- different type of training though. And that's more like training. Like if we want a dog to sit instead of jumping up on grandma, that's a nice incompatible behavior, right? So it's a desirable, don't jump on my grandma. If you sit, you'll get the attention. Maybe you get some cookies. But uh, with aggression, it's completely different. So I'm, I'm working on, again, changing the underlying reason for it. And um, yeah. because that's one of the classic things is like you see a lot of, you got to teach the dog to sit. You got to teach the dog to work for things. You got to, and all these, um, you know, they look nice because the dog that sits is not biting somebody. However, it's not helping them feel any better about the person. No, right? no. And the doctor can make them feel worse if we trap them too. If we ask you, if we ask the dog to sit next to the scary person, it's even worse. The dog's like, wait a second, you want me to actually compromise some of my safety? I can't get away now because you're asking me to sit. So uh, we do have to be careful with those behaviors as well. Yeah. Like when I'm working uh, aggression cases, much like yourself, focus on, focus on, sh- the emphasis on changing that emotional state. So that underlying driver as to why the behavior is happening in the first place. And then the communication skills that we might build, they come along 
like they, they go hand in, they do go hand in hand, but yeah, it's not obedience style training. It's not like, Hey mate, sit down there and lay down there and stay here. We're just trying to, a lot of the time when I'm communicating with the dog in those moments, I'm often using it as a gauge as to where is the dog's st uh, state of arousal? Where are they emotionally? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I'm going to basically be just checking in with him to see where are you at in this moment while we're, while we're around the scare, the potentially scary thing? Because if I've taken you too close or it's moving too fast or whatever it might be, if the stress is too high, there's a good chance that his coherence is compromised. And it's, this is where I gain the, the, the myths where that dog isn't being stubborn. That dog is compromised. And so me saying, hey, mate, look at me, may potentially mean he has to turn his back on the scary thing. So he's not trying to be an ass about it. That's just information for me. So I look at that and go, oh, I've asked him to do a behavior that in normal circumstances he can do. Right. And right now he's saying, I can't. So a good handler, in my opinion, will go use that as good information and adjust things because we're actually starting to see the buildup, the precursors to aggressive behavior. And I don't want him to go any further than that. I want to, I want to notice that early and start to change that dog's emotional state for the better. Mm -hmm. And that information was key to me getting there. Yes. Yeah. And you said that word stubborn there too. That's another one that comes up in a lot of, you know, the dogs being willful, spiteful, stubborn. And, uh, and it's just, again, just, I think re what really helps me help my clients is that, um, just share, again, sharing human analogies. It's like, if I'm holding a knife to your back, right. Mm. But then I ask you, if somebody asks, somebody else asks you, like your partner asks you, can you do the taxes now? Or, you know, <laughs> can you do the taxes? Can you do the dishes? Can you cook me dinner or something like that? <laughs> While the knife's being held to your back. And then what? And you're like, no, I can't do that right now. And you're like, oh, you're just being stubborn. Right? <laughs> because yeah. you're a knife held to your back. Right? <laughs> so yeah. like how unreasonable is it to call somebody stubborn when they're in that state of, you know, their safety is being threatened. And that's what dogs are experiencing a lot is they feel like their safety is threatened and safety completely overrules everything else, you know, absolutely overrules everything else. The, the, there's the, uh, the one that I'll often talk about is because we'll often hear, well, my dog won't take food. And I'm like, yeah, cool. That's, that's really good information because what you're saying, because I mean, I'm assuming the fact that your dog is alive today, that he, he eats day to day, most days. And so he's, it's not like he can't eat. So in those moments, if he can't take food, that again is really cool information. Like, and I was explaining to people, if I'm sitting there eating a burger, my favorite in my favorite restaurant with my favorite people and having a great time, but then there's a fire in the restaurant, my burger comes second. And <laughs> nobody's ever saying to me, well, you can't eat. It's, it's nobody ever if it would even question it. Of course, you're going to move away from the fire. But we don't seem to have that rationale when it comes to I'm offering a steak to my dog. He can't take it. Well, he's just being stubborn or he's just not food motivated. That's not the case. Yeah. And imagine if like somebody was like forcing you to stay there too, like restaurants yeah. burning down around you and suddenly they're like, what, you're not hungry anymore. <laughs> that's, that's what we see with dogs all the time. Like, like, why isn't the dog taking food on the walks? You know, they're not, or you hear the, you know, they're not treat motivated or something like yeah. that. And, and there's very valid physical, physiological reasons for that, right? It suppresses the appetite 
you know, in our digestive system when our body's preparing for fight flight, right? So it's, you know, it's well studied, well researched, but for some reason, I don't know, it doesn't equate, it doesn't carry over well to when we're trying to understand the dogs we're working with. So, so for anybody yeah. listening, if your dog's not treat motivated, it's first check to see if, if they're feeling good enough to eat, right? It's yeah, it's, I, I, it's one of those lessons that as soon as we say it out loud, people go, Oh shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think another myth around handling aggression and this is more probably a bit broader as well, but put around, um, you know, like you said earlier, there's two camps of training in the sense that you've got your punishment based and you've got your more positive reinforcement based. And when it comes to aggression, I think some people think that positive reinforcement based trainers are being permissive and Obviously, we can't have that. We can't have just being permissive to aggression cases. But of course, that's not the case. And no, it just doesn't quite work like that. But it seems to be there's a stigma around, uh, well, if you're using positive reinforcement, then you're being permissive. And I just, I think, I don't really know where that came from. You might know much more. Than I that. think it, yeah, I think it has to do with, you know, if we're, if we're talking like that dichotomy, obviously there's shades of gray with training, yeah. you know, some people use both positive reinforcement and aversives, but, um, so let's kind of, you know, in the general sense of the, again, the culture of punishment, it's when we see a, an animal or a person doing something that we perceive as like violent or uh, a threat against us, which when the dog is using aggression, they're trying to increase distance. They are using uh, their behavior to threaten us to make us go away um, or increase distance or simply have us stop doing what we're doing. That can again feel like uh, sort of offensive in a way. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, how dare you? And so if we allow, like when as a positive trainer, if we're air quotes, allowing that to happen without punishing it, then we're being permissive. We're like saying, oh yeah, please do go ahead and do that. But for me, it's my indication that I made a mistake right? as the human. Yeah. I did something that actually triggered this response to make this dog feel unsafe or to threaten this dog in whatever I'm doing or to set the environment in a way that this dog is not feeling comfortable. So that's good information for me, actually, as when, when a dog displays aggression that says, I can now see or have seen a moment in which this dog is not feeling comfortable or there's something that is threatening. So now I can make adjustments. You know, as a human, I have a lot of control over the environment. And so I can set this dog up for success so we don't see that. And I don't find that permissive at all. I mean, it's, it's the opposite, I think. We're actually yeah. taking that information to use in a positive way uh, to help craft our behavior plans, right? To help this dog feel better. So, um, yeah, and and avoiding making it worse, right? Because again, if I go in there and punish it, I might suppress the behavior, but then grandma's going to be packing that <laughs> that gun in her back pocket if I keep doing that. She's going to be like, oh, you yeah. know what? I've had enough of this. I, I get that you're still bringing me hundred dollar bills, but once in a while you're still grabbing my bag. Or if I, if I get a little grumpy, you grab my bag or you smack me or something like that. That's, that's going to cause frustration and more problems. So, um, yeah, permissiveness is, uh, I guess the uh, significantly wrong choice of word when we look at yeah. what we're really doing. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, if, if the, if we're training the dog and it does, and we do see aggressive behavior and unwanted reaction, I think, again, that's another tipping point as to how we handle it in that mm -hmm. some people will hold the dog accountable for that reaction. Mm 
And some people will take ownership for their role for the dog being there in the first place and then make adjustments and hold themselves accountable. It's a big, again, there's these forks in the road continually, like how we label it, how we, how we train it, how we respond to it when it happens. There's these forks in the road that can make a huge, they don't, but they're not tiny. They're not small, are they? They can really split and end up going the completely different paths once we, once we get there. Yeah. And and it kind of, like also makes me think about the saying like they should know better or he should have known better she should have known better right and when it comes to aggression again it's a normal response so it's not like we're teaching you know um a, a, the dog not to jump up on grandma because the motivation the underlying motivation isn't for jumping up on grandma is just usually to say hello like if the dog somebody comes in the home the dog's jumping up on the visitors it's a undesirable behavior for a lot of people because they don't want the dog scratching or you know getting on people's clothes and things like that but the motivation is much different. The dog's usually just happy and it's like, I want to see you. Hello. Hello. Uh, but with aggression, it's much different. So they don't, they don't know better. They're just doing again, what's coming naturally to them is like, or anything with a brain is going to say, I need to defend myself against this threat. And so, you know, again, that, that the, the thought that they should know better is again, another sort of misnomer that I see a lot. And it's, it's a dangerous one because if we expect them to like, say, I can make decisions anytime i'm threatened it's a that's a big ask right it's a big ask of people like yeah. let alone dogs like with the it's putting a like you said it's a big ask it's putting a lot of human concepts onto a completely different species that even as a species ourselves, we're not very good at <laughs> <laughs> this is true <laughs> this is true there's so many things when it comes to aggression and I think another thing that people often come up against is that uh, embarrassment or mm-hmm. kind of almost shame. For, and that can come up for so many different reasons when it comes to somebody's whose dog that they probably don't see aggression all of them. They don't, like, not probably, they definitely don't see aggression all of the time. Um, and they probably, in, well, everybody that calls for help doesn't want to be in that situation as well. And it comes with a lot of emotional baggage, uh, dog behavior in general, but tip very much aggression. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this side up uh, too as well, because, you know, we have to consider the human side of these cases, right? Ian, in it, in, we often forget that, you know, we're often, you know, we've been talking about the dogs and the dog's point of view quite a bit here, but there's the human side as well. And as effective trainers and consultants, we have to be very empathetic in understanding of what the humans are going through. And there are, as you said, a lot of emotions, strong emotions often going on, especially, especially when the dog is displaying aggression towards the guardian, right? So they're, they're, yeah. they're people in the home and they're going after him. That can re- that can really feel offensive. And so I, and I can empathize with that. I can understand why a person would get upset at the dog that they're feeding, that they're buying food and comfortable dog beds and dog toys. And suddenly the dog's biting them and they bring a new dog toy home. That could feel very offensive, right? So we, I do, I do empathize with that. But if, again, if we go back to let's understand each other, let's understand both parties. I understand that the humans upset that their dog just bit them because they're doing all these nice things. You know, they just went out and spent their paycheck on toys right, for the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but then we, we have to explain, you know, this is from the dog's point of view. 
I mean, the dog's like, this is really valuable to me. You know, I just got this brand new toy and I, you gave it to me, so it's mine. Just like if you have your cell phone or your eyeglasses and I pick them up, you would get upset at me, right? And so yeah. we have to sometimes explain that, um, you know, this dog's just doing what's coming naturally to it. And, and what's called resource guarding is very natural to, again, dogs and humans. Uh, so we have to we have to empathize with going back to the dog that says, this is normal behavior for the dog. In fact, again, all dogs, right? Because without it, they wouldn't be able to survive. Dogs wouldn't be on this earth with us if they didn't have some level of keeping what's valuable to them or competing over resources. So just like people. So yeah. again, going back to it. So I do understand when, when, when I have clients that are really upset, there's lots of emotions involved. They can also be angry. They can also be frustrated. They can also be stressed. They can also be fearful of their dog. So um, that human side is, is really important to, to understand as well. Um, yeah, and that, and that going back to a point that you raised earlier around the different kind of approaches from the from the professional. Mm-hmm. There's almost uh, what you said about like punishment works because it it does it, it stops the behavior from happening. Mm-hmm. And when we're emotional and we're making decisions, I think that's one of the main reasons why those methodologies still work is because. When we are act, when we're emotional and making these decisions, often people want the behavior to stop, and the idea of empathy towards the end, the dog that is showing the behaviors that is causing the stress and the fear and the anxiety to the human is is going to be quite confronting, and it does take empathy and compassion to be able to flip that lens and look at the the dog in their care through that through that lens. And use anything that is sold as, well, you can take control now and you can stop this is probably easier to sell. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Because when you think about it, that actually is selling to our emotions at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, think of if anybody's listening in right now, think about when you got frustrated about something, very frustrated. What was your action? Maybe you pounded the desk or you like screamed or did something right out of your frustration. And when we're frustrated, our dogs in that moment, we might reach for punishment because it's the easiest thing to do. And it's our, it's what our response, what our feelings are and our emotions are at that time. So just like with people, I'm like, good advice for people when you're feeling frustrated or you're in an argument or in conflict with somebody and you have to process you need to take a moment to process your feelings and process your emotions to figure out why you're feeling that way so it's always good to just take a step back you know get yourself out of that situation for the moment take a little time whether it's a few minutes or even a few days to think about through the process so you can understand the person or animal that you just had that conflict with. So you can come back and approach it with empathy, with a plan, without the frustration behind it, which then, which typically cause you reaching for punishment. But now that you have a plan where you can use positive reinforcement or creating positive associations, then you're going to be much more successful, whether it's with people or dogs. So yeah, it's again, very, very easy for humans. I mean, we're, we're hardwired. All animals are. We're hardwired to respond to those emotions. Yeah. And so, and that's the hard part. Right? That's the hard yeah. part. I'm not blaming anybody for having emotions, of course, and responding with their emotions, their emotional responses, really. That's what we're calling it. And uh, so. And, and there's, I, f- I think as well, you know, there's, um, it's not like, there's a complete difference to reacting angrily to your dog being aggressive and creating a training plan that revolves around 
aggression towards your dog. Like we've all done it. I, I'll be the first to hold my hand up. And if my dog's lost his, lost his mind at something, I've gone, no. And but that's a panic. That's not me setting out a training plan to change the issue. And there's a complete difference there. Like picking up the phone and arranging for somebody to punish the dog is completely different to reacting in the moment out of your own anger or your own startle or your own anxiety or fear or whatever it is. Cause yeah, completely different concepts. It's like, we, right. we should be a bit kinder to people in general because, and, and not carry that guilt. Like I know that if I'm working with somebody and they have been using those methodologies in the past, I'm not, I, I can, I can relate to that. I've done that. I've been in, I've been in those shoes. Um, no, we're not going to persist with that. That's not the way I work, but I'm also not going to harbor any ill feeling, anger, or definitely not going to shame you for having done that in the past. Right. Yeah, right, precisely. I mean, what, when we ask somebody to just like suddenly never say no to your dog or stop using this particular technique yeah. in an instant, it's like we're asking them to become superhuman all of a sudden. We're like saying, okay, please don't have any emotions ever again, right? <laughs> please change all of your learning through all of your experiences and your culture and every t interaction you've ever had with any human or dog. In this instant, I want you to completely change how you've learned everything in one moment and completely change your mindset, <laughs> as well as have no emotions, please. And then, yeah. so you can see just how much of a big ask it is for this. So people have their cognitive beliefs and their biases, and, and that's very important to understand. It's a, it's a very, very um, slow shift sometimes, and that's okay. Because yeah. once we understand why, again, going back to that why, that's going to allow us to have that shift. And, and without the understanding, you're not going to have the shift. And without the understanding of the human, you're not going to have the shift. So it's really, really crucial. That slow shift, though, it, it can mean so much to both parties. Like the, the slightest little shift away from anger and aggression within the human-dog relationship even just a redu reduction in it, while we may not be, you know, it might not all be flowers and rainbows yet. And it never always is 100% of the time with anybody's dog. But any sort of shift away from those negative emotions, those stress emotions, that, that anger is an improvement on what it was. And so we start to actually build momentum into a more healthy relationship. So, yeah, like you said, that can be a slow shift. But that's okay. Like, let's, it's, it's better than it was yesterday. It's better than it was a week ago. And we should yeah. be celebrating those wins because like you say, like if I know what I'm like, and if somebody came into my house and told me to change my fundamental principles and values, I'm not saying I'm not going to get there, but it ain't going to be tomorrow. Um, right. let, alone, let alone in the two-hour consultation when I've just met you. So it's a, it's a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about building like a trust account, right? You just, you're putting yeah. small deposits in every single change you make. If it's in the, if the dog perceives it or the human perceives it as well uh, from the other party is saying, Hey, I'm doing a little thing to try to make this better. Um, and you're building these little deposits and you get a little interest that grows in there as well. Uh, but that allows you to take some withdrawals every once in a while too, because sometimes you're going to have those moments where you go back to getting frustrated. But if you have enough deposits in that trust account, you're going to be okay that one time you kind of make a mistake and you say you get frustrated as humans do or the dog as well. 
right? And and it that's again, it's it's not a it's not a light switch. We can't turn it on and off. It's a, it's a it's a slow shift. But like you said, if we go in that in the right direction, then every little bit counts. I, I really enjoy the. Uh, I use the bank account analogy a lot as well with the positive and the withdrawal. So every time you make a, a positive interaction, you, you're depositing into your account, and every time something you know life happens, right? And you might mess something up and make a withdrawal from that account. And recently, I was working with a really cool client, a uh, a banker, and he's also a father of two young children. And he pointed something out to me that was really cool. He said, when you make a withdrawal though, Ian, it is not equal to your deposits. There's interest. (laughs) And we just have to, if we do make a withdrawal, we have to make a few extra deposits just to play catch up. So we have to be a bit careful. And that's why we have to, we're not saying to people that it's going to be perfect and that you're not going to make mistakes with your dog and you are going to say no, and you are going to cause a little bit of frustration. That's a relationship, but we should be making a more conscious effort to have more positive interactions because the negative ones take the toll more than, more than the positive ones. He was talking about his kids, you know, and he does everything he can. This man's a wonderful man. And he's like everything I can for my kids to love me, to enjoy life and everything else. And inevitably, no, they can't have an ice cream. And (laughs) <laughs> that, you know, that gets remembered far more than the 50 other ice creams that he did yeah. get them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I mean by the interest. <laughs> that's a very good analogy as, as well as a story. It, it, it's, uh, it has me thinking too about the size of the withdrawals that can be made, you know, again, for both parties, you know, when a dog bites their owner. Right there, that's that's a significant yeah. withdrawal. That can bankrupt. That can bankrupt the account in some cases, where that person doesn't want to even keep that account anymore. And vice versa, something that person does to their dog can bankrupt their relationship as well. So some things to consider again, if when when we get frustrated or we want to reach for a punisher or something that's going to stop the behavior, or even when the dog isn't engaged, or worse, right, when the dog's not engaged and we the person does it like five or ten minutes later, and the dog has no idea what's going on with it. Um, it can significantly bankrupt that account. So it's it's again another consideration when we're looking at how we're working with aggression and 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 how we have to be careful about those things. So um yeah, love how this conversation is going into into these um these rabbit holes, but yeah, it makes us I mean, it just yeah, yes, going back to the original point, it's just all of that that the the information online is what keeps me up sometimes, right? Yeah. It keeps me thinking about um, you know, the the bankrupt relationships that are out there that have occurred because of the the bad information. Yeah, and and it's the info, like I said, the, like we said earlier, that the information is catching up. There's, and I've said this to a to a few people over the, and I'm I'm very happy to say it again. It's like the information that we're learning as professionals is moving fast, but it's only really it's it's quite new. It's only really just reaching us in the last 10, 15 years, and understanding it and having a wide a really wide amount of information, the amount of information that we can achieve, uh, attain as professionals is only really just starting to become super accessible. And so it isn't, it shouldn't be a surprise uh, that the public aren't hearing it yet. Right. It's, it, it, there's been, there's been some really poor information put out there mainstream that has held the industry back for so long, but 
I'm very optimistic that it is starting to shift. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the way information travels now, it's again, just going back to my clients that have been overseas in places like Norway and Pakistan, and they're just, they, they even know some of the um, authors and, and folks in our industry that not a lot of people know mainstream, um, they know about them. So that's exciting to see. So I do think that the information is spreading uh, much more rapidly, thankfully. Uh, but we also, that means the bad information can sometimes spread very rapidly. So we do have to be careful in this day and age of social media and uh, what looks flashy and what looks like it works very quickly, like punishment-based techniques. Uh, it can look really good, but you know, I think that's why uh, the educated consumer and the educated viewer of these social media channels is very important. So um, if, if I was to, and that's what I teach my kids, you know, it's just how to filter out good information from bad. That's, versus trying to say, oh, this is good. Because you're gonna it's a lifelong battle if you're always saying like this is good, this is not good, this is good, this is good. What do you think about this? You're gonna be there the whole your whole life doing that. And it's better if you teach them how to like actually filter out the good information, the fat, the science from the non-science, you know? And that's yeah. uh yeah. But yeah, it's good to see. I mean I, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm happy the uh that that it's getting out there. So Absolutely. May I think that is a great time to wrap it up today. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um no, thank you. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. It's an absolute pleasure. Likewise. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode has been sponsored by Bono Behaviorist. Bono Behaviorist is a Sydney-based dog training and behavior company. I founded back in 2015. We've got a small but dedicated team of dog trainers and behavior consultants. We've helped over 4,000 people at this point with everything in between helping people set up their new lives with their puppy or adopted dog to working with people that have come to us to help them with dog training and behavior concerns. For more information, go to bondobehaviorist.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Bondi Behaviorist.